morning. We are now four weeks into this series, Waging Peace. I'd like us to quickly review what we have said so far. Four weeks ago, we began thinking about the fact that peacemaking is part and parcel with what it means to be a, a disciple of Jesus. In the very beginning of the church, the early Jesus followers understood their identity to be to follow in Jesus' footsteps. He was their model of how to live their lives. He was the bringer of peace par excellence. And when he preached, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God, he taught that those who seek this kind of life will be family, the closest of relationship with God, children of God, peacemakers, are children of God, he taught. That's significant. Two weeks ago, Pastor Dan took us even farther back to the beginning of the biblical story to show that God has been in the peacemaking business from the start. God is shalom, and God has an, a vested interest in, in restoring shalom when it has been damaged. And Dan taught us that those who wish to participate with God in this do so with wisdom and humility. As we look at the world, we see the pain and the wreckage of conflict, the opposite of peace. We look around us and we see the damage that is done. So Dan's challenge to us was to engage with God's mission of, of peacemaking by first looking at our own hearts, hearing the words of the Apostle Paul in Colossians 3, let the peace of God rule in your heart. And as we stay close to Jesus, the Prince of Peace, Last week, we took a practical look at how we can begin to be peacemakers here in this congregation, the corner of 51st and 100th in Marysville. I believe we're called to seek peace and the peace and the unity of this community of faith by sticking together and loving each other, even when we perhaps disagree on political or theological issues, to stay together. Easier said than done. I became very aware last week that this hit a nerve for many of us. I found it interesting that as I spoke with many of you after church and then throughout this week, there was a common theme. A common sense I got as I listened to you. It was one of relief. It's like, oh, I heard this over and over again. Thank you. Oh, thank you for talking about that this week. I've been pondering that. <laughs> you know, and it makes sense. It's as if the silence has been broken on a subject that many of us have been wondering about. How is this highly charged political environment going to affect our church? This church is precious to you. Am I right? 
Me too. And if we can have hope that it will remain a place of of mutual love, a place of acceptance, a place of peace and unity, well, that's a good thing, isn't it? So here's what I believe. We are most likely to continue to be blessed by the peace and the unity of this congregation if we together renew our commitment to, to work together, to serve together, to be faithful to Jesus Christ together. How might we best do that? This is what brings us to today. Notice the hands on our title screen. I mentioned last week that they were carefully chosen. Waging peace is work. Sometimes it's hard work. As I look at those hands, I think this is somebody who is engaged in something difficult. This is is somebody who has been putting some effort forward. And waging peace may involve getting your hands dirty, (laughs) literally or figuratively. So we're turning a bit of a corner in this series today. Since Jesus is the Prince of Peace, as we've said, we are seeking to be in step with him. I want us now to sit at his feet as he teaches about peacemaking. And we'll do this in a way that might seem a bit unusual, but here it is. The parable of the Good Samaritan that you've just heard is It's like a master class in being a peacemaker. There's no better place to go to learn to go really deep in what it means to participate with God's peacemaking, restoring, reconciling pulse in this world than in this deceptively simple story. So we know the story well. My guess is that no one in the room heard the story this morning for the first time. Maybe you did, and if so, welcome. (laughs) But I want us to hear it. I want us to hear it today and in the next couple of weeks, not in the Sunday school sense of, oh yeah, Good Samaritan, I've heard that. I know the Good Samaritan. No, no, no. I want us to really unpack it. Though we've not done something like this before, we're going to stick with it for several weeks. There's a lot here. So let's begin this way. I'd like to notice that the story is set within the interaction with a potentially contentious conversation between Jesus and a lawyer. Anyone listen to any contentious conversations between legal experts lately? He said that over half the country was tuned in this last week. Well, this this legal expert approached Jesus 
and ask care, a, a very carefully framed question. This is something that attorneys are really good at. Framing questions to get the uh, person responding to the question to maybe respond in a way that could maybe trap them into something that they want them to say. Some of you are smiling because you, you maybe have been trapped like that, as I have. One of the really cool things about this episode in Luke is the way this lawyer was, was no match for Jesus. <laughs> that in this conversation, in this interaction, Jesus takes charge and, and teaches something not only to the lawyer, but also for all time redefines the whole concept of neighboring. But notice the contention at the beginning. A question designed to trip up Jesus. Jesus answered by taking the lawyer right back to the basics. He answers him when the lawyer says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus takes him right back to the beginning of something that every child knew from memory. The words referred to as the Shema from Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, and in Hebrew, hear, Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Every Jewish child born into a, a religious Jewish family then and now knows the Shema. Jesus answers with this most basic of basics and says, what does the law say? And the, and the lawyer responds. And Jesus says to him, good answer. Do this and you will live. Now, this was the answer to his question, but the lawyer then decides to cross-examine Jesus and asks, who is my neighbor? Can, you can almost hear the taunting quality in his voice, in these words, contention, argument, potential conflict. Does that sound familiar to anyone? So the answer that Jesus gives, interestingly, does not escalate the conflict, but rather it takes the whole discussion to a much deeper, more significant level. The lawyer was asking, how can I get eternal life? Jesus' story shows him how to give your life for eternal purposes. It's genius. Notice, notice something else here. Who is the hero of the story? The priest who crossed to the other side of the road? No. The Levite who did the same? Is he the hero? No. Who's the hero of the story? Do you know? The Samaritan is the hero of the story. Folks, do you know who the Samaritans were? Jesus and his disciples and those who would have been around him, like this lawyer, they're all Jews. The Samaritans were hated by the Jews, hated. They, they were seen as half-breeds, uh, defiled, intruders in the land. 
The fact that Jesus lifted up a Samaritan as the hero of his story is wildly suggestive of what he's putting forth here. In their book, Mending the Divides by Huckins and Swigart, they suggest Jesus' use of the Samaritan in this way is analogous to a, today maybe a well-known pastor offering a, quote, Syrian Muslim refugee. An undocumented Latino migrant or an HIV-infected transgendered woman as an example of what it means to faithfully follow Jesus. The Samaritan, the hero of the story. What's going on with that? Basically, what Jesus is doing by highlighting the Samaritan this way is exposing the rift between the Jews and the Samaritans and indicating that this breaks his heart. Notice how often Samaritans come up in Jesus' teaching. It wasn't rare. The Good Samaritan here in Luke 10, there's the story of the Samaritan leper in Luke 17. When Jesus is speaking to the woman at the well in John chapter 4, who was she? A Samaritan woman. Now, what's the purpose of all all this if not to say that God is all about restoring that which is broken because of sin? Even when, especially when, it's something as big as a societal rift between two hostile people groups. Wow! That's amazing that Jesus is taking this on. So what can we learn from this? From this picture of a God who is, whose heart is broken when people hate each other like this. To me, this indicates his heart, that he's all about breaking down these walls of hostility. He's all about giving his children the ability to see beyond their prejudices. He's all about challenging our social, ethnic, and cultural bias and calling us to join him on the mission of peacemaking. But this is hard work. Sometimes it's long, hard work. Early in our, in our work in, in Senegal, we were mentored by people like Mark Snelling and Jim and Bev Vaughn. Those of you who were there early on, you'll remember these times. I'm thinking of Todd especially. One of the things I remember them saying was that we need to keep at the work and be patient in Senegal. Gospel work. Keep at it and be patient. We're seeking to build friendships. We're seeking to build partnerships in a place where there has been 1,400 years of one story being told. That Christians are evil. That Westerners are, especially Americans, are immoral. Don't be tricked into listening to what they think about Allah. 
It was helpful for me to learn what it was like to be on the outside looking in and to appreciate these deep cultural prejudices and biases. Building friendships and, and partnering together is, is good work, but it's hard. But it's worth it. Because this is what God is doing in the world, friends. As disciples of Jesus, we must be more willing to set aside our bias and to see what God is calling us to do now. Can we look around us and notice what is broken? So I want to leave you today with a very simple question. And I want this, I, if, I, if I could make this question reverberate through our week, this is what I wish, this question. Who are we afraid to talk to? Who are you afraid to talk to? This is the first step in waging peace to wake up to the fact that broken relationships, centers of mistrust and conflict are the places where God is wanting to work, where God is looking for you and me to wage peace. Can we be honest with ourselves and ask that question? Who is it that we're afraid to talk to? And then to pray around that. I invite you to do that. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, I pray for these next several weeks of listening to Jesus teach. Father, as we seek to be attentive to these words, I pray that you would do your work in us. I pray that you would lead us into your truth. And Lord, that you would help us to potentially be agents for change in places where there is deep hurt and brokenness. We pray, Father, that you would make us one. We pray, Father, that you would help us to reach out to heal the places where People aren't talking to each other anymore. Whether it's in our families, whether it's at school, in this community, and the people the, with the people we share workspace with. God, we pray that you would help us to respond to your word. We give you our lives. We give you our offering as well this morning. We worship you, Lord, with our lives. Help us to follow Christ, the Prince of Peace. Amen.